But today we are going to talk about a simple message of faithfulness. That's really what Haggai is all about. It's a simple message of faithfulness. And the pain it takes to get to that simple place. I want you to do something because we need a a historical context for Haggai. And so I want you to do something that may be a little bit unusual as we begin. I would like for all of you to close your eyes. And I just want you to listen. I'm reading from 2 Kings right now. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped the outside of the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. The city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled toward Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered. He was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where a sentence was pronounced on him. And they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the 19th year of of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzarian, commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisors. And he also took the secretary, who was chief officer in charge of constricting the people of the land and 60 of his men who were found in the city. Nebuzarian, the commander of them all, brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. You can open your eyes. This was a punishment of God. In between Zephaniah and Haggai, we have this exile that has taken place, this promised punishment of God among the people of Israel who had been unfaithful for generations to the very covenant that they promised to follow. And I wanted you to listen to the word of God because I wanted you to hear, because sometimes in our imagination, when we're just reading the word of God, instead of we create a picture in our head when we're listening, when we hear what's actually happening. That's better than actually reading the word itself. That's why I wanted you to get the picture in your head. It's better than any film that you can get out there. Seventy years they're in exile. As a matter of fact, we read in Daniel. Daniel noticed that the time that Jeremiah had prophesied was coming to and the people were coming back. 
Well, the four books of the Bible that really do go together during this time, too historical and too prophetic, are Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, which we're in the middle of Haggai and Zechariah right now. We read Ezra and Nehemiah a couple years back. And they mention one another, especially when you go to the historical accounts. They mention one another, and they're ministering at the same time. But it's upon this backdrop of 70 years in Babylon, understanding this was the punishment as they went out into exile. It's fresh on their minds as a people. Grandparents would remember and would talk about what things were like. As a matter of fact, that's part of what we read in Haggai because some of those people who were there who were very young at the time of exile would make their way back. And even at the rebuilding of the temple, they will say, it doesn't look as big as the old one was. It's not as majestic as the old one was. What would you do and how would you warn to avoid that fate. See, the punishment of God is burned in the conscience of those who are older, of the people of Israel, the people of Judah, who have come back. You didn't have to talk with them theoretically about the wrath of God coming down upon the people. They had experienced it. The enforcement of this covenant What were to happen if you were to start to see society that's just being rebuilt moving back in that direction again after being gone for 70 years and seeing the punishment and wrath of God and how serious that really was? See, I think we need to have that mindset, that understanding to understand the prophetic message as well as the response of the people. As we're reading Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and Zechariah, I think you have to have that perspective. If we don't have that historical backdrop, we miss out on the emotional impact of seeing the wrath of God. There are some of you today, right now, looking at world events, who've experienced war. And there's some serious concerns as you see our country kind of seeming like moving, inching in that direction, right? The decisions being made because you know why you've seen and remember the horrors of war. How we got there and how decisions that are made move us in that direction and what type of terrible effect it has upon us in the world. What will we do to avoid such things, if it can be avoided. This is the backdrop of Haggai. I give a little bit more historical context, at least as it pertains recorded in the book of Ezra, and I'm just going to highlight it here. You can go read it on your own. Um, When they got back, they started wanting to build the temple in Jerusalem, but they had adversaries who wanted them to stop. And so they did for a number of years. It stopped from the second year of Darius as king 
excuse me, I think, excuse me, second year of Cyrus as king to the second year of Darius as king. So that time in between, they just kind of stopped. They rebuilt their houses and things like that. And this is where the message of the Lord comes upon Haggai. So if you will, turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. And because we only have two chapters, we're reading a lot of Haggai today, but it's just because it's a small book, not because I'm necessarily reading too much scripture. Is there really such a thing as too much scripture? Okay. Verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You're in wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in them. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. We go back and we look the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. This is the enforcement still of the covenantal promise of God to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 28 talks about if you're not honoring me, I'm going to withhold from you the crops. You're not going to get the rain in seasons. You're not going to get, you're not going to get the crops in season. You're going to harvest less than what you're supposed to have. Why? Because you're not honoring God. You're not being obedient. You're not walking through what you said. And so the word of the Lord has come to Haggai after many years. This isn't just a matter of, hey, it's been six months. This is many years. They have built their houses. They got threatened. They got scared. They stopped. And God's saying, I'm not being honored. You're worried more about them than you are about me. And therefore, guess what? I'm not going to bless the work of your hands. Just not. I'm going to enforce the covenantal promises that were upon you. And the people like Ezra the priest and Nehemiah and, and Haggai and Zechariah are stirred up by faithfulness to God to try and encourage the people, hey, we need to get back to what God is telling us to do. Because it's not just this area that we're looking at. There are other areas of faithlessness that are happening within the community of God's people during this time. Again, I'm not going to quote all the scriptures. You can read them yourselves. I really encourage you. Jump into Ezra. Jump into Nehemiah. It's amazing when you look at all of that together. It just like this coalesces this whole story. It's awesome. 
But in the middle of all of that that's going on, the other thing that we have happening is you have people who started taking wives concerning other people in the land. They started taking foreign wives again. Which if we look back in Deuteronomy, it says, do not intermarry with them or else what's going to happen? You're going to start serving their gods. They're going to turn your hearts away from me. This is why God wanted his people to be separate. I want you to be a people whose identification was found in the service of Yahweh. That's what it meant to be a Jew. And turning to somebody else and marrying somebody else of a different religion was to water that down to the point that you would take in those practices. That's exactly what happened to all the people of Israel and Judah as God pronounced judgment on them. And they even referenced Solomon. This is what we read in in Nehemiah. Nehemiah takes some of these people and actually kind of beats them up because of their intermarriage and saying, look, was not Solomon doing this, marrying so many wives? Isn't that how this entered this land to begin with? Because it was. All the idol worship has its origin in Solomon marrying all of his wives. And then when Rehoboam and Jeroboam split the kingdom after him, Jeroboam says, I don't want them going back to Jerusalem and started building those calf idols in the northern and southern part of the kingdom up in Dan and down in Bethel. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And it started this cycle of idol worship both in Israel and in Judah that would end in that terrible destruction that I've just read to you from 2 Kings chapter 25. And I guarantee you, you ask any of the survivors, was it worth it? Nope. Uh, That wasn't worth that cost. And so here in early going, we see those seeds again, of unfaithfulness starting to be planted within this new collection of people that have come back together to rebuild this society, hoping to have God at the center. And the good news is this, because of all of that in the back of their mind, the burdening, I am sure, of the Holy Spirit, we see everybody actually listening to Haggai, something we don't see a whole lot in the prophets. Right? There's not a whole lot. I mean, you guys have been with us as we've been going through prophecy during this last five years. We get into prophecy, it's usually you're not doing this, and it's like, and you don't want to do this. Very rarely do we see, though it is there. We can look at Hezekiah and, and section in Isaiah with Hezekiah with 30, chapters 36 through 39 and, and see that obedience of a good king to turn people around back to God. But that's the exception, it's not the rule. The rule is, I tell everybody they need to follow God, they're saying, shut up, shut up, we don't want to hear it, we don't want to hear it, we don't want to hear it. But here, because of the backdrop of where they have just come from, they're willing to listen. And they begin wholeheartedly turning toward the building of the temple of God. And so they make plans for about three weeks, and then they start doing it. 
And a couple months in, we read Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answers no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of those things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this, this people. And this nation in my sight declares the Lord, whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this. From this day on, consider how things were before. One stone was laid on another on the temple, uh, excuse me. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the, temp- in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there, any, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. See, they've been working two months wholeheartedly building the foundation of the temple of the Lord. And they ain't getting no instant gratification from God. Oh, as soon as we started doing that, we started getting blessing. Nope. God wanted to see what their heart was like. Are they doing this just because there's this pronouncement and two weeks later I'm just going to go back to doing what I was before? I mean, how many times have we gone to certain places, made certain promises to God? Oh, that was so awesome. And we turn around and two weeks later we're just doing the same thing we were doing before, Right? go to a conference or go to camp or go to some amazing place. How many of you have had that spiritual high, right? When you go and it's like, whoo, yes, God, I am serving you. I'm going to do everything for you. My life is going to change. Or God heals your marriage or something happens amazing. And you're just like, everything, God, everything for you. Two weeks later, you're doing the same thing you were doing before. How many times? You, me, we've all been there, right? Right? If the people of Israel, people of Judah, had that agenda, they wouldn't get this blessing, would they? Because this is two months, and they're building the foundation. This is a time-consuming project. The temple isn't fully built yet, just the foundation is done. But God knows the heart, and he knows the heart of these people are wholeheartedly stepping forward into the message of repentance and turning away from that. More that you can read about that again in Ezra, right? And he promises them this. This seed hasn't been planted, hasn't come up yet, but I'm telling you from here on out, I'm blessing you. That enforcement of that covenant, if we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we also see that the blessing of God at the return of the people of God is also a promise that he's keeping. And he's informing them, This curse is now over. From here on out, I'm blessing you. 
because of a simple act of obedience toward the simple message of faithfulness. When we think about the message of Haggai today, in the context of being a believer in Christ, really nothing has changed. God still wants yours and my faithfulness for the blessing of God. But so many things around us tempt us to be unfaithful. Right? Turn with me real quick, because this is what Jesus is talking about. I want you to hear his words on this matter. That's very similar to what we read in the message of Haggai. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25 and read to the end of the chapter. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You guys hear that? Aren't we under the same pressures today as they were? And while you and I may not necessarily be able to go back to the wrath of God concerning, you know, what happened to a specific nation when his wrath is poured out upon it, to be able to say, oh, I don't want to relive those horrors. You know the horror that we can relive is the horror of our past life before we knew Jesus. I mean, if we're really honest about our walk with Christ, if he's really freed us according to his grace and truth and what he's done on the cross to forgive us of our sins, can we not go back? And are we not constantly tempted to be sucked back into that again by the pagan world around us? The pagans, this is what they all run after. They say, you need all these things. This is what's happening during Haggai's time, right? You need these things. Here's what we did. And the warning bells go off. No, what you need is God. What you need is faithfulness toward God. That's where the blessing of God is found. The blessing of God is found ultimately in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Who died on the cross for my sin. Who died on the cross for your sin. And has promised us not only life to the full in this life, but life eternal in the next. That he's defeated sin and death, the very thing that has plagued us. And yet, 
It's like a pig going back to, or a dog going back to its vomit. We do the same thing, don't we? I want to share with you some things. Back in the 1990s, there's a study that went out about people walking away from faith or, or not considering Christian faith in, to begin with. Three things were the major hindrances of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Not one of them scientific, I'll let you know. Not one of them apologetic in nature. Not a single one of those three things has to do with, oh, there's no evidence for Jesus. Here are the three things. Number one, somebody's viewing pornography. Number two, alcohol and drug abuse. Number three, living together outside of marriage. These are the three things. This is back in the 90s, so this is 30 years old, right? These three actions that were in the lives of people were detriments to their relationship with Jesus, where they would rather give up their relationship with Jesus than their relationship with pornography. They would rather give up their relationship with Jesus than their relationship with drugs and alcohol. They would rather give up their relationship with Jesus than their relationship with the person that they're living with or making it right via marriage. And we fast forward 30 years, the whole sexual revolution has moved into a whole new stage It's not just homosexuality, it's the whole idea of identity. We no longer call these things sins, we've tried to normalize them as identities. Can you imagine how hard it is for somebody who is participating in these actions but identifying that sin as part of themselves and what that does for the message of Jesus that says those things are the reason for which I came and died. Brothers and sisters, friends that are here, dabbling in any of these things is detrimental to your faith in Jesus Christ. It's detrimental to your marriage. These are the very things that Haggai and Nehemiah and Ezra and Zechariah are trying to tear down from that society because they knew that that's what got them in trouble in the first place. Guys, you're dealing with that. You're struggling with it. Maybe you came out of that when you came to know Jesus Christ and have been entangled in it again. You have a decision to make. And God wants a simple act of faithfulness of repentance, of turning away, to be that restoration so that he can say, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's not going to be easy for you to overcome these things, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? John chapter 16, the end of the chapter. We have to want Jesus more than anything else because the pagans will tell you you need all of these things but your heavenly father knows what you need and also knows what you don't need.
But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all of these things that you do need will be added to you. Do we really believe that? Are we building kingdoms for ourselves? See, the people that Haggai's mentioning, they've spent years now building up their own houses. These paneled houses, it, it's, an, it's a sign of saying, you're, you're, not just, you're not just barely scraping by, you're making it. You've got paneled houses. I know me and you are like, that's 70s talk, but still. Because I remember the paneling out there. But he's saying, you, you guys are making it, but you know what you're not Making it for is not making any room for God. You're not making him priority in those things. You're not desiring him more than anything else. Now the people that Haggai was talking to understood what it was like when the punishment of God came down. We have a whole set of people who call themselves Christians who try to deny that the punishment of God reserved for those who are unfaithful is actually going to happen. And either that's true or it's not. But I know what Jesus saved me from. I really do. I know the abundance of life that Jesus has called me to. And he's asking for an, a simple act of faithfulness among the people of God to put him first. In everything, in every area of our life to receive that blessing. The blessing of peace and understanding. Look, I'm not going to turn around and say, you'll never have any problems again. There's nothing like that promise in the scripture. Jesus said, come to me, I'll give you rest. He has taken upon the yoke of sin and suffering so that we don't have to have that yoke placed upon us. He's promised you and I eternal life for those who would be willing to follow him and putting him first in anything and everything. It's trusting his list of priorities over the world's list of priorities because the world's list of priorities are only going to take you away from Jesus. As our culture changes, you and I have to double down of believing that he knows better than they do. We need to be people of the word. We need to be people who are spending more time knowing his word than what the world says. I could care less what the world says. Sincerely, I've seen and lived the destruction that is produced in my own life. Why would I ever want to go back? If you have that testimony of Jesus Christ in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's why when we talk about faithfulness and putting God first, this should resonate with you because you don't want to go back. And if you find yourself dabbling with things that you've done before, here's what you need to do. Repent among a people who, just like you, have stumbled, have fallen, have messed up, but we want Jesus more than anything else. I don't really care what anybody else thinks. If that's you today, this is something you need to get right. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. He knows your needs. All that you really need will be added to you. Would you stand with me?
subtlety of the world, small little compromises, doesn't seem like much. But it adds to a trajectory that leads us so far away from Jesus before we know it. I don't have to tell you, and you're going to hear this pointed out a lot, because guess what? It hasn't been that long. world has changed in 20 years, hasn't it? Not having the foundation of Christ has launched that trajectory, which for a long time just looked like it was just that far off. It's not that far. It's not that far. And now all of a sudden we're seeing the results of not having that foundation of Jesus from a society around us that would rather deny, that, deny him than deny living the way that they're living. And it's like this now, isn't it? Make you feel pretty lonely as a believer in Jesus. That's why the body is so important. That's why the fellowship of believers is so important. So that you can be encouraging your faith and in your faithfulness and your walk with Jesus Christ. The house of God is so important. We've neglected it so much. This community of believers, we need to love one another. We need to be supporting one another. We need to be around one another. You know why? Because the pagans all around us are tugging at us to pull us away from Jesus. And God knows what we need. And we need to be reminded that over and over and over again so we don't fall for the lies of the world. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for a simple message of faithfulness, Lord. It's what you call us to. It's what you call the people of Judah to. It's what you're calling us to today, Lord to recognize that your kingdom is the most important, that your righteousness is the most important, that we need to be following you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We need to remember from where we came from and how empty and bitter and that way of life was so that we will not take for granted what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, so that we will not turn our back on you, so that we will not go the way of the world and the enticing things that they put out toward us saying you need this, Oh, Heavenly Father, I know you know what we need. I'm going to trust you more. Lord, help us to encourage one another in our dependence upon you and our dependence upon Jesus Christ. And God, if there are any struggling this day, dear Heavenly Father, who have stepped back into the old way of life that is empty, meaningless, is causing trouble, dear Heavenly Father, whatever it may be, this day, oh Lord, is a day we can turn around and we can say, I want no more of that. I want to hear Jesus more, more than ever. I don't care who knows what I've done. I care about getting close to Jesus again. God, that is what the body of believers is all about, is to help one another to draw close to Christ, to realize we're going to be all strugglers in the middle of all of this, but I want to hear Jesus' voice clearly in my life and the blessing that comes from that. And if there are any today who have been struggling, may this be the day of repentance, of turning around, of faithfulness to your Heavenly Father, of accountability, not unto condemnation, but unto sanctification, Lord, and restoration, Lord. Whether it be marriages or drug addiction or pornography or whatever that sin might be, because sin in and of itself is addictive in nature. And you've broken that cycle on the cross and said it no longer has the power to rule over us. But we have to confess it for what it is, it's sin. Give us the courage to do that, Lord, that we may have the peace that you've promised us beyond all understanding through serving Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
through whom we have all things and are given all things. Help us to remember that, O Lord, and never give up on that. Lift it up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward and just be here to pray with you. Elders, I'm going to tell you the same thing I'm telling everybody else. If you have needs to pray for as elders, we're just men just like you. We have bad days, bad weeks, and we fall too. We need to pray for one another. But if you have a need, if this today is that day of repentance for you, you come forward, you pray, you get that accountability of people who love you and care for you and just want to see the blessing of Christ in your life. Otherwise, go out, live different than the world. Surround yourself with believers who care about Jesus and let's show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great day.